Well, welcome to 10 Meaningful Minutes. My name is Lori Lacombe, and I am here with Aaron Reagan again. How you doing, Aaron? Lori, I'm great. I am great. It's so good to be here. It is. It's been a while since your last story. <laughs> you talked about when we did the laughter uh, podcast. Anyone, if you haven't heard that, you should really listen to it because I still laugh when I think about your story. But uh, anyway, it's good to see you. You too. Um, today, we have a very special guest, Vanessa Farrell, who is the social emotional learning specialist at Colorado Education Initiative, is with us today to share a little information around social emotional learning. So welcome, Vanessa. Thanks, Laurie. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for carving time out of your busy day. I have had the joy of working with Vanessa on a regular basis this school year because Colorado Education Initiative is helping support our RISE grant in Douglas County, which is Resilience in School Environment Grant. So I've also been to some of your workshops, Vanessa, which I've loved. So thank you. Thank you. So let's get kicked off with, could you talk about what is FDL? Yeah, it's a great question um, because it means different things to different people. For a lot of people, social-emotional learning is learning a set of competencies, social-emotional competencies or skills. And that is true. For some people, it's also like the way in which we help kids and support kids to become resilient, to cope with disappointment, to handle the things that life's throwing at them. And that's also true. Uh, for some folks, it's about growth mindset. For other folks, they'll say, well, it's about building relationships and really connecting with kids, making them feel accepted, affirmed values. It's also that. So SEL is one of those terms that it's, it really depends on who you're talking to, what they think it is, but it is all of those things. And if I were to describe it, but in a way that I think is a little bit more clear, it's that Really, it's a social and emotional development of people. And what does that mean if we're all developing? We develop from birth through our entire lives. We're developing. And if we want to develop into great citizens, friends, parents, coworkers, if we want to be great people, then we have to be developed socially, emotionally, and academically. And that's what school is. So school is about creating an environment where the conditions exist for us to grow and develop in those positive pro-social ways. And so if I were to describe it, I would say that what the research is clear about is that all people need to feel safe. They need to feel like their, they, their identity is acknowledged, recognized, and affirmed. They need to have relationships with other people that are characterized by trust. I trust you and I know that you trust me. You listen to me, I listen to you. You'll help me if I need help. You have my back, I have yours. So there's an ally, being an ally to each other. It's so important for us to feel that and they need lots of those relationships. Young people need relationships like that with their parents, with their friends and with their teachers. Uh, it is about building your skills and your competencies so that you can get through and get past the things that happen in your life, good and bad. And it's about understanding and learning how to recognize what you're feeling and buffer your stress and have tools to do that so that your body and your brain can act in the way that it's supposed to, like learning all kinds of new things. Because when you are under stress, 
your brain actually doesn't work the way that it's intended to. So it is all of those things, but mainly it is creating an ecosystem where people thrive. They grow, they develop, and they thrive, and they become socially and emotionally and academically competent. That was perfect. Thank you. I love that definition and that it is, there's so many parts to it. And it is just not the competencies, which I think we can kind of get stuck in sometimes. So Vanessa, you know, it's been crazy times in schools because we've been in and out of the buildings, hybrid, remote. I feel like a lot of parents are very concerned about, you know, how are the academics of um, my child developing? Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm just curious from your point of view about how important is social emotional learning during these times as well? Okay, so it's never been more important. It's always been critical, but it's never been more important than it is right now for a couple of reasons. You know, a lot of people aren't familiar with the science that of learning and development. And that science is clear actually, but we don't do as good a job as we should at teaching that and making sure that both adults and students know that what drives your development of executive function, those are the functions in your brain that help you have long-term memory, become cognitively flexible, right? And be able to think about things from different perspectives. Those cognitive skills are at the heart of every educator's mission. When you say that educators are building your cognitive capacity of, of your students, of your kids, you are talking about those core executive functions that happen right here in your prefrontal cortex. And guess what? What drives the development of those executive functions is the way you feel. Believe it or not, I know we don't always want to say that feelings are that important, but the truth is that if you feel disconnected, feel disengaged, feel like what is that people are just talking at you and it's irrelevant to your life or to your future, if you are stressed out, anxious, scared, any of those feelings actually don't allow for your executive function to develop. It shuts down your prefrontal cortex to its lowest functioning level. So in that, so there's reason one, the learning that every parent everywhere, there were, as you said, they're very concerned about academics. They're concerned about learning loss during COVID. They're they're concerned that social and emotional learning somehow takes away from academic learning by putting one more thing on teachers' plates, being an additional thing that kids have to learn. That is the wrong way to see it. It actually is the way we learn. That's why learning is social and emotional. Instead of calling it social and emotional learning, we would be better off if we literally got into the habit of saying learning is social and emotional. We only learn when we feel confident, prepared, grounded, connected, not sleep deprived, and in fact, hopeful. And there's research to back every single one of those up. So the way we feel drives what we engage in and what we are able to learn. It actually affects what our brains do, our bodies do, and what we are willing to do. It is the single best predictor of academic motivation is the extent to which you feel connected to other people and in a trusting relationship with others. So social emotional learning isn't separate from academic learning. It's critical to academic learning. Anyone who wants their their kids to achieve academically, 
you want your kids to develop socially and emotionally. I am uh, blown away at how well you articulated that. And I'm really struck by your passion and deep understanding of this topic. And I, and I just think this is really invaluable information as an educator and as a parent. Thank you. So let me ask you a question from the parent lens. Yeah. So what is it that parents can do at home to help reaffirm and re reinforce social emotional learning for their kids? Absolutely. You can imagine, and this is part of actually the question before that I didn't particularly answer, is that why is it so important in this COVID moment, especially? And it's because feelings are so high and those feelings are more likely to be negative. So we are plagued right now with stress, anxiety, worry, all of the things that really hold us back are extremely present right now. Whether it's that a student themselves feels really stressed out about what's happening in our world, what's happening with the virus, what's happening in their family, but their families are often stressed out by all sorts of things happening from the family dynamic, from loss of income to worry about income, to worrying about jobs, worrying about whether or not they're able to do their jobs virtually, worried about illness, worried about elderly parents. I mean, the lists go on and on, right? I mean, we, we all can articulate the list of things we're worried about. And the worry does impact our ability to be creative, curious, to learn, to engage, because what we want to do, and this is human nature, this is your brain. Your brain wants to protect you from all of these threats that you're perceiving. You're perceiving all of these threats coming off from all these different places right now. And your brain wants to protect you by letting you withdraw. It's actually the opposite of engage. And so to fight that in order to learn, you have to be engaged and motivated and interested and curious and be willing to not give up, to persevere. This is the hardest time ever for all people to persevere, to be resilient because you're just being knocked every day with another set of bad news or worries or anxieties. And students are absolutely in that place with adults. So your question was, what can you do? And you have to talk more you have to relate more. You have to be vulnerable with your kids. Be authentic. Don't sugarcoat stuff. You actually are better off when you sit down and say, I know that you must have a lot of feelings right now. Let's talk about how you're feeling. I'm going to tell you how I'm feeling. And that's vulnerability that parents often don't want to do. They think many, many parents, hundreds have told me this. They, in similar to teachers, they feel like they have to be the towers of strength, that you can't show any weakness because if you show weakness, it actually makes your kids more scared or worried. That is not true. When you are vulnerable and honest, kids sense how honest and authentic and vulnerable you are, and they feel safer to do that back. And when you actually know what people are feeling and going through, it builds empathy and understanding. And it allows you to get through all those barriers that we put up trying to be super strong, like teachers in the classroom who feel like they can never not know the answer. They can never be weak. They can ne they're so busy trying to be everything perfect that then students say, and again, hundreds of students in focus groups that I've conducted say, my teachers just are never real. 
They are not authentic. I don't know who they are as human beings. I don't get them. They don't get me. Mm -hmm. They don't see me. They say those things because we are so busy trying to be so strong that we forget that the strength is actually in being vulnerable, transparent, and honest. So that's what I would say to parents. Talk to your kids, even young kids, about what they're feeling, what they're worried about. Reassure them that it is going to be okay, even if it feels really tough or difficult, and that they have their back. They are 100% behind them. They believe in them 100%. They know they can do it, and they're there to support them, and they can tell them anything. Those are the most important things that parents can do to give their kids the feeling like they can take a risk and perhaps re-engage even when they are feeling really anxious and worried themselves. It's so rare that I ask a question that I feel gets fully answered. So, so thank you. Thank <laughs> You're you. You're welcome. And so this might be hard to follow up. If you had a magic wand and you could have any parent who's listening right now take one thing away from our, from our time together, what would it be? That feelings matter. We tend to discount, as humans, we tend to discount the way a person feels and say instead, just do it. Like, I, I understand that you don't like it. I understand that you're scared of it, but just do it. We do it a lot as adults. The truth is that the way we feel about ourselves and the world around us determines everything that we do. Truthfully, the way, if I feel good about my future, hopeful about my future, if I feel confident, if I feel like I have the things to be successful, my entire trajectory as a human being is immediately changed because I feel that way. If I feel like people don't get me or see me, I could come or not come. I could be there or not be there. No one listens to me. Nobody understands me. Uh, I'm not going to be doing anything great with my life. I don't even have what it takes to succeed. I'm not even sure what the future looks like. If those are my feelings, I then behave exactly in accordance to those feelings. So if we don't invest in how people feel about themselves and about the other people, we actually don't get any of the outcomes that we want. We could teach, we could stand in a classroom and teach all day as a parent we could all day long say, these are your obligations to me. Here's what I expect. You're going to get in trouble if you don't do this. This is the consequence. We can say that till the day is long. And if it doesn't change fundamentally how a person feels, their outcomes don't change because they don't actually change their behavior. So if we want our young people to feel safe, accepted, affirmed, and motivated, we have to ask and constantly be um, affirming how much feelings matter. And that's true for adults as well. We want to say that we just suck it up and do it. But the truth is, and this is from adult research, when you draw the parallel to the way what happens when adults don't like their job, we actually know exactly what happens. When you don't think you're good at your job and you don't like your job, the first thing that an adult does is that they start coming in just a little bit late and leaving as soon as they can. Mm -hmm. The second thing you notice is that they don't sign up for any outside of the office. They don't sign up for committees. They don't go to happy hours. They withdraw. They stop talking to people. The third thing you notice is they start to be sick. And whether that is, it's not even saying that it's made up sick. It's just that either you, you just don't feel like going 
but you start to see sick patterns, right? That people don't feel like being at work. And the next thing you see are people saying, I hate my job and I really got to find another job. Mm -hmm. What all of that is saying is that the way you feel determines truly your performance, what you're willing to do, engage in, think about problems you're willing to solve, things you're willing to tackle. And every adult intuitively knows that's true. Every adult, I'd be surprised if there are very many adults that haven't had a job that they disliked at some point in their life. And you know how you feel about it. You know how you felt. You know how hard it was to make yourself go. Well, our young people are exactly the same. They're the same human being you are. And they have a hard time getting motivated and engaging in things if they don't feel like they're valued, affirmed, seen, like they have anything to contribute. They're good. They have to think that they're good at it, just like you did. So I just wanted to draw that parallel that intuitively, I think every adult, even if we say things like, I don't care how you feel about that, you're going to do it. I don't care if you like school or not, you're going to go. I don't care, right? You, you hear that voice. I think we've all heard those voices. We might have even used those voices with our own kids. I'm a parent, right? But the truth is, intuitively in our hearts, we do know that, that the way that we felt as people and the way that our children feel as people determines what they do. So we can't discount emotions and feelings because they ultimately drive all of the success and all of the outcomes that we so desperately want to see for our kids. Fantastic. Lori, <clears throat> I'm wondering if you might have a story to share with regard to our topic today. Well, Erin, I do. Thanks for asking. And by the way, Finessa, my job was waiting tables. I was the worst waitress ever. Yeah, started showing up late to that one pretty fast. So anyway, <laughs> I was a classroom teacher for 18 years and I loved it. In my very first year, I worked at a magnet school in out, right outside of Chicago. They just opened multi-age year-round schooling. And I had 35 fourth and fifth graders in my classroom. 35 kids in a class, it's a lot of students. It's a lot of space, right? And, and the students were very sensitive to each other. They were sensitive kids and um, first-year teacher. Okay, so you can see maybe the first few months were a little rocky, you know, they were a little rough. And I, I kept trying to find like, what is the thing I try to do the how to get them, you know, to be engaged and focused. And I try to do like, you know, oh, oh, you all got a star. Oh, let, oh, everyone, you all did. Okay, get another star. We're going to go out for recess. And I found that didn't really work for very long. And I was simultaneously uh, taking some yoga classes. So I started teaching my kids yoga and breathing. Anyway, there was one kid, his name was Cameron Afshar, and he had the biggest brown eyes, and he was a little whippersnapper, and his energy was like all over the place. And I would do this yoga with him, and then we'd always stop, and we'd take three deep breaths. And then he would start to say, Miss Lacombe, Miss Lacombe, can, can, we, can we breathe before reading today? Could we breathe? Again, like, and he started asking. And what I realized was, and I didn't really know I was doing it at the time because social emotional learning was just like, it wasn't as a topic back then. It was just what you kind of did as a teacher, you know? 
And I realized that these students needed that real direction of how this is how we calm ourselves down and this is why we calm ourselves down so we can focus, so we can engage. And I just wanted to share that story today because one, I encourage any teachers and parents that are listening to this, try that with your kids. It's it's so easy and you really see the results immediately. It is a, especially if you're in a classroom with 35 kids and they're all breathing, the energy comes down and the focus increases. So that's my story, Erin. Fantastic. That's a great story. And I would also say to parents who might be thinking, but I don't know how to do those breathing techniques and I don't have time to take a class on it. You don't have to. There are so many fantastic videos out there that walk you through exactly how to do breathing practice. Exactly. If you don't know listeners, reach out to Healthy Schools. We have them all listed on our website. So awesome. Well, this has been a great conversation. And Vanessa, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And Lori, amazing story. So that wraps us up for this episode of 10 Meaningful Minutes. Please join us again soon.